It's back to school season, and what better way to be studious than by starting your own website? GoDaddy.com has hosting plans starting at just $3.95 a month, and no matter what plan you choose, your site receives 24-7 maintenance and protection in the GoDaddy.com world-class data center. Plus, as a MuggleCast listener, enter code MUGGLE, that's M-U-G-G-L-E, when you check out, and save an additional 10% on any order. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. This is Professor McGonagall welcoming you to all to MuggleCast, hoping you enjoyed. Dobby, Dobby, come here. Yeah, Dobby. Yes, well, I'd just like to say how very pleased I am to introduce MuggleCast to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Because there's a small chance we may get fired this episode, this is MuggleCast episode 183 for October 26, 2009. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 183. This is a special episode for two reasons. Special. One, oh, the surprise was ruined. <laughs> Damn. Ben Shane is with me in the MuggleCast studio this week. Feels great to be live, Andrew. I feel like my, my voice is clear. It sounds like, good. I feel like I'm me. Again. <laughs> yes, you are you again. And also, for the first time in MuggleCast history, the... Uh, Emerson Sparks is making his pre-recorded MuggleCast debut. Welcome, Emerson. Happy to be here, Andrew. <laughs> How does it feel? I'm excited. You know, I'm excited. Well, yeah, as everyone knows, you've always done the live episodes with us, but um, never a pre-recorded one, like this one, for example. So That's my, that's my style. Yeah, and, <laughs> and uh, of course, you're, you're also on because we're celebrating you know 10 years of MuggleNet and we'll talk to you uh, later on in the show about you know how you got started with the site I have some questions that personally I'm very curious about so I'm excited to hear your answers Andrew always the curious one (laughs) (laughs) all right so we have a we have a very 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 uh, busy show today I'm Andrew Sims I'm Ben Shane I'm Eric Skull I'm Micah Tannenbaum I'm Emerson Sparks Micah, there's been a lot in the news. What's going on? Well, uh, not too much. I'm actually going to take this week off. Come on, Micah. Step right. up, Micah. No, it's no, 10th no, anniversary. The webmaster of MuggleNet's here. Don't you, aren't you trying to impress? Come on. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't. Right. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> all right. See you guys. I wonder if we can all, all right, make it through uh, the show without being fired. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I should have been fired well, a long uh, time ago. What's that? Sorry, sorry. go ahead, Micah, with the news. All right. Well, let's start with Deathly Hollows. Uh, some filming updates. Tom Felton updated his Twitter. 
not too long ago at the beginning <gasps> of the month, saying that he was uh, filming with Ray Fiennes and that he's uh, thoroughly enjoying working with him. So uh, some information there about uh, what's going on. Any idea what scenes they could be? Uh, Malfoy Manor. Because because uh, uh, Helen McCrory is also filming as well. Yes, Isn't she is. She? Mm. Yeah, she said on October the 5th that a table read for part two of Deathly Hollows was taking place that day. So, uh, yeah, you're probably right, Malfoy Manor. Mm-hmm. Nothing uh, later on in the series has been shot just yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, she also noted that many around the set have grown up with the franchise and are sad to see it go. Well, yeah, there there was an interview with Robbie Coltrane, too, about that. It must It must be pretty sad. To... Well, that's just like us, you know. Yeah, we're, we're never mug, ending though. Mugglenut, ten years old. You know? <laughs> we're getting up there, but they're ending. Times are changing. They're ending. You know, it must be sad. Yeah, a little bit. Probably. <laughs> well, if they're looking for work, they can. Uh... <laughs> they can join Mugglenut. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's these, there's these Twilight films coming out. <laughs> All right, Micah. What else? Well, speaking of uh, Deathly Hollows, Matt Lewis, who plays uh, Neville Longbottom, was at. The, the opening of the Boston Harry Potter exhibition and uh, he talked a little bit about the seventh film. He said that he has a script for part two and will begin shooting next week and that the scale of it is enormous. Um, Neville is, quote, a bloody and battered resistant leader, a battle-hardened veteran. And uh, actually one of our staff members was at that event in Boston and uh, it opens this Sunday, October the 25th. Right. Uh, they, they, um, Matt Lewis and Ivana and I'm sure many other actors, they've been hyping up this part two like crazy just because of how the part two is going to be basically mostly the Battle of Hogwarts. And, I mean, they are really hyping this up. So hopefully it is not a letdown. <laughs> still think, you guys, does everybody still think it's a good move splitting it into two? Definitely. Yeah, I do. I mean, finan- just financially alone, they're doubling their money just from one book. I mean, imagine if they did that for all the books, which they could have 14 done. movies. <laughs> that would be a bit intense. Yeah. It would be. You're right. But at the same time, it would, uh, it, it would prolong, the, prolong the party. Can you imagine? what? Oh, Jesus, it would be going to, like, what, tw- 2020 or something? Something that insane. Would, that would be insane. Yeah, they, start, they start making comparisons to the Saw movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah Saw <laughs> 6 came out last you week don't want I was like I saw Saw 1 and 2 I don't remember yeah. 3 yeah. and 5 yeah. 3 was good 2 I, I hate 2 3 was good 4 and 5 did not need to exist but I mean you know I'm sure they're also feeling motivated to really make sure that this final film is perfect because it's the last chance they have to really you know express them ex- ex- uh, turn the books into the film so you know, and they they want to do something that they can really treasure forever. So, yeah, Matt I, th- I Lewis think it'll be saying, interesting. Sorry, um, I was say I think I think it'd be interesting. You know, when this is all said and done, to look at the first film and compare it to the last film, and you know, see like truly how far you know how far the, the special effects team has gone, how far the produ- overall production quality has gone. Mm-hmm. You know, how far the act like you know Dan Rupert and Emma, how much better they've gotten, and. How just in the chemistry of the of the cast and everything, how how that's developed over time, and I think it'll be interesting to see how it's shaped up. Yeah, maybe mostly in part one, it'll be interesting to see Dobby again 
you know, for the first time since part two, you know, and oh, just yeah. to see how that CGI works. I mean, I, I know we had creature in the, in the past one, but just, you know, watching the same, you know, to see Dobby again. That, right. Well, I'll give you an example, like uh serious in the fireplace in what was the first one? Uh, Goblet of fire. Largely regarded as a bad. Yeah. It looks terrible. CGI. And then order yeah. the Phoenix. It looked much better. So yeah, it was great. Like Right, and but Quid- it's almost too easy to pick on. Oh God, yeah. I mean, uh, um, I think I've told this story on MuggleCast before. After I saw Half Blood Prince, I saw Sorcerer's Stone right away, and the Quidditch in Sorcerer's Stone, like you know, the the the, uh, the Quidditch pitch, it's very bright and colorful, and it's not nearly as detailed as what you see in Half Blood Prince. It's really. What are movies going to look like thirty years from now? You know, can you imagine? Yeah, you won't be able to tell what CGI. Just as simple as that. Yeah. Well, you're going to be completely immersed into the movie. It, there'll be it'll be just like you're like you're uh, an actor on this set. Right. Yeah. Which would be cool because they could go and remake older movies like Die Hard with you in them. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> All right, Michael. What else? All right. Um, over to Half Blood Prince. This movie never seems to go away. Uh, the DVD Times released a new article <laughs> detailing uh, what we can expect from the uh, close-up with the cast of Harry Potter portion of the Half-Blood Prince DVD. Many cast members are contributing with fun segments, which totals close to 30 minutes. And there's also going to be a Deathly Hollows sneak peek um, on the DVD as well. Yeah, that's big news because they did that with uh, on the Order of the Phoenix DVD. They had the Half-Blood Prince sneak peek so right. hopefully it'll be good i i wasn't blown away by that half blood prince sneak peek they had on the order of the phoenix dvd i, I don't recall it to be perfectly honest it was it's on youtube if, if oh if, i'm sure it was there um mm-hmm. but i mean I, I, <laughs> not, nothing special right you know i mean but it's nice i mean especially with deathly hallows i mean they're you know quite a chunk of it is filmed and you know so yeah they should have some good stuff mm-hmm and also uh, David Yates and Dan Radcliffe are going to participate in a community screening of Half-Blood Prince on December the 12th at 3 o'clock. Fans who have a copy of the film on Blu-ray and are registered in the BD Live community will be invited to participate. Andrew, you've got to be excited about this. Are you going to uh, participate? Where is it at? That's right, Micah. No, it's a digital gathering. Everyone who has Half-Blood Prince on Blu-ray. They all get together. It sounds oh, a, nerdy. A digital gathering. Yeah, that's that's what they're. It's called a um, the the BD Live community. So and the PS3s can hook up to the internet. So you're going to be able to like hear David uh, David Yates and Dan Radcliffe commentate the movie live while everyone watches. Oh, that is pretty cool. Yeah. So that's sweet. Ben, you can come over. We'll we'll have a party. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it should be cool, and I, I gotta imagine like this is the first time Dan Radcliffe's going to be doing commentary for any film, so uh, mm. I think it should be interesting, very interesting. You know, that's something they should do for the for the ultimate editions. Give more commentary tracks. Yeah, at least the trio. Just get them in there. They can do it. Um, I would love to see Dan do Sor- Sorcerer's Stone because I'm, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure he would just be ripping himself the yeah. entire time. <laughs> I he definitely would. <laughs> I think he has said in past interviews that he can't bear to watch that first movie because of his acting and Neither his voice. can most yeah. people. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can bear it. <laughs> um, but, Micah, if it makes you feel any better, I know you said earlier that this movie just won't go away. Um, once the DVD's out, I think we'll be pretty much done with it. So, 
Well, you know, we had that extra time built in since they I postponed know. it, so it's it's been around a little bit longer than it should have been. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, moving on. Uh, J.K. Rowling announced while she was at no. the Stella McCartney. She did show. not announce this. This was overheard. Oh. <laughs> it was secretly overheard while at the Stella McCartney well, like show. Like Obama calling Kanye a jackass. It was overheard. <laughs> well, no, he actually said that. Right. Yeah, yeah that's on tape. <laughs> so go on. That she is indeed putting, quote, pen to paper, and it says, I'm working on something, but it's not Harry Potter, she said. I need a Harry break. And uh, I guess it's kind of interesting after she created the Twitter account a couple weeks ago and said that she was busy working on something question is what right i i don't believe this i think this story's bogus <laughs> what you think that she's wor- she I think she's working i think she's working on something po- i think it's encyclopedia she's working on yeah i don't know it just well, seems really? like why, why? Wait, because why would you your potter we're in the we have two movies coming up why would you move on right now because I, you spent I, like the last 16 years you <laughs> but, know slaving okay. away over this stuff. The bank account. She, yeah. she has said she's done with <laughs> books one or harry's story yeah we get that but i th- i really it seems to make sense that she'd be working on the encyclopedia right but now. i think it makes equal sense that she'd be working on something else because she's probably a little bit burnt out on harry potter no well, you're probably the, right let's look at the facts though it's been two years since deathly hallows came out actually almost two and a half years really yeah um since deathly hallows came out and about a year since beetle the bard mm-hmm. it's the last thing she's she's written widely right. so um, just just fact wise, you know, it's been been two years since she's written Harry specifically, and and what does that mean? Yeah, what are you saying? Oh, it just means like you know, for being tired of Harry, it's oh. it's she's already been. I mean, it's it shocks me that it's already been two years since book seven, but it has been. Um, so right. I well, how many next books- week when she's on the show, we'll, we'll ask her. <laughs> Way to upstage uh. Emerson. <laughs> well, no, we, we've joked about that for oh what. Five years, right. and it hasn't been Joe, funny. I know you're out there. <laughs> I know you're out there. Well, I think you know. Maybe during the next live show, we can stage a massive Twitter attack on Joe's account, and everyone can just at reply her and be like, "Get on MuggleCast." You know, if she doesn't uh, log in, she can't see that, Kenji. Right? Well, she's like me. She could be on Twitter for a year and a half and not know what at replies were. <laughs> yeah, and not, not know how to check them. Yeah, Emerson. A awesome. uh, little background. Emerson was uh, all bashing on Twitter. I don't really see the point of this thing <laughs> for a long time. But see, that's how everyone is until you join it. You said that too, Ben. No, but I knew what the at replies were. Oh. <laughs> uh, I love. So I- if, if you send me an at reply at any point in the past year. Prior to That's July, like maybe two months ago, up to July, and I didn't reply. Uh, it's it's not because I'm a bad person or I hate you. Or, He's just a dumbass. I'm kind of- <laughs> <laughs> I loved I, J.K. Rowling. Got she has so much potential with that Twitter account, though. I mean, like she, I, you know, she, what I'm she, saying. Yeah, she think, probably think has about, even about, more potential with her bank account. Right. <laughs> think well, think about the reason why Miley Cyrus deleted her Twitter because anytime she'd write anything, the media would pick up on it and start, you know. Start conjecturing based on you know 120 character tweet. Imagine what the media will do anytime J.K. Rowling would tweet about anything. They just don't <laughs> care though. They seem to respect Joe's wishes far more than they do anyone else's. I wonder if that's because they're scared of her. <laughs> no, I don't. Because think. she has the magic. Well, I just meant like the potential for <laughs> Joe's Twitter. Like she could like put some really funny updates out there. Yeah. Like, you know, like chilling well, with Ben Shane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 She's I a want funny a date with Neil. Be back later. Ha ha ha. 
sipping tea with with, with Fiddy <laughs> and Mario. Getting pumped for MuggleCast. Well, yeah. what what gift? Oh, oh, Emerson gave uh, J.K. Rowling the key to Laporte, so she could be like, "Oh, I'm just admiring the key Emerson gave me." Well, Laporte is for, is the community Emerson's from, just, right? Right. Well, yeah. So I mean, that, not, I mean, not everybody listening. Oh, will sorry. Know that. Okay, sorry. I think probably the most exciting thing you could do with the key to Laporte is go to the courthouse and not have to go through the metal detector. That's that, about that's, it. That's the advantage. <laughs> But it's Laporte. It's the La port key. Oh, the port. Oh, <laughs> I see. Uh. see. So it fit in more ways than Emerson even knew. <laughs> uh, what else in J.K. Rowling's world? She's going to be the recipient of the first ever Hans Christian Andersen Award next year in Denmark. She's going to travel there to accept the award in person on October the 19th, 2010. Now, I don't know why they felt the need to... Uh, make a notice about this a year in advance but, <laughs> but what is the award given for micah it's it's well it's the first ever right award. right but like the, like the <laughs> i just think it's you just know, like the, the, who, who wins the heisman trophy like the best player in college football who wins the right. hans christian anderson award i think it's just in memory of of the author um because he, he died? obviously wrote a lot of uh young children's books so. Oh, okay. Yeah, it yeah. It says in this article, the literature the literature prize is to be awarded to someone who can directly or indirectly be compared with Hans Christian Andersen. <laughs> what what books? That's, that's the what, vaguest description I've ever what, what heard did, for a, an award. What so did, it's like six degrees. Of Hans <laughs> yeah. Christian. Oh, look. If you have anything in common with the man whatsoever, you still J.K. Rowling deserves every literary award. That uh, with respectability. This so. person has done many fairy tales, it looks like. Quite right. a few. I'm I don't sure you've read one of them. What is it? I'm sure you've read some of them at some point. Oh, The life. Ugly Duckling. That's a big one. We all know The Ugly Duckling. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. That's huge. The Snow Queen. I guess that, that probably doesn't relate to Snow White. <laughs> <laughs> Thumbelina. That's a big one. Mm. All right. So, yes, this is a very established... Uh, author. Author. So, yeah. She absolutely deserves that award. Oh, going to receive my H.C. Anderson award with me. On Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, go on, Micah. Final bit of news this week. Uh, Dan Radcliffe may be set to star in another. Well, the first one wasn't a musical, but he's set to return to Broadway. And I figured I'd ask Eric about this because, Eric, you actually were in this play in high school, weren't you? Yeah, the musical's called How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. And it's a uh, satire of 1960s big business or, or 50s big business uh, concept. It's really a great, funny show. Hmm. And it's a musical. Yeah, it's a musical. So um, would Dan have the same part as you? What did yeah. you play? Dan would have the lead role, which is uh, Jay Pierpont Finch is the character. He's like a window washer and just basically this, this um, uh, low, low-class uh, worker guy who finds this book titled How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. And it basically – it was a real book actually like way back when and they made the musical after it. But it basically you know chronicles how to rise – in the corporation from the mailroom mm. to, you know, pretty much being president of the company without, uh, you know, basically through brown nosing or through, 
um, just doing various, you know, humorous, uh, humorous things. So do and, you, you, your role had to sing, you had to sing some tunes, right? Um, yes, but could you give it, us a sample it, of one of them? Um, sure. Hang on a sec. Now there you are. Yes, there's that face. That face somehow I trust. It may embarrass you to hear me say it, but say it I must. Say it I must. You have the cool, clear eyes of a seeker of wisdom and truth. This is a scene, this is a song that he sings to himself that in was the mirror. Beautiful. Thank you, in, in, Eric Skull, ladies and gentlemen. Trying to pump himself up for a big um, business conference. Anyway, it's great. It's actually a hilarious musical. All right, Michael, what else? That's it. Okay. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you, Micah. Thank you, Micah. You're welcome, Ben. Anything for you. We're going to move on now to uh, some feedback from uh, last week's chapter-by-chapter chapter segment where we looked at chapters one through three of Chamber of Secrets. Ben, would you like to read the first one? I would. This comes from Will19 from, I don't know where he's from, message. First off, got to say I love your podcast. I love how you guys brought back the discussion of the chapters again since I got to relive the feeling, feelings I had when I first read it without actually reading it. I'm too caught up in college right now and miss those easy days when I could read Harry Potter. I think the whole point of Dobby dropping the cake was to stop Harry from going to Hogwarts. In his little house-elf mind, he thought getting Harry in trouble would mean the Dursleys would lock him up or punish him so he wouldn't go to Hogwarts. Just like when Dobby doesn't do what he is supposed to do, he gets punished or can't get what he wants. Dobby knew Harry would be punished, but he'd rather Harry punished or even injured than to be killed. After all, Dobby risked... After all Dobby risked during this year and what he was willing to do in later years, I can't see Dobby as a character who would do actions out of spite. He always put the other characters, especially Harry, before himself, which could be, which could be to his own struggles and self-hate, but he was completely selfless every minute, even up to his death. There you go. So there's a little feedback for you there. Ode to Dobby. Yes. Eric, can you take the next one, please? Sure. This one is from Abby Yu, age 15, from Tennessee. She says, hey, MogoCasters, I think your podcast is great, all caps, and it has saved me from boredom at the many grown-up parties my parents dragged me to. I wanted to say that your chapter-by-chapter segment was great. The abuse that the Dursleys had caused Harry is horrible. I thought about it, and the way they are so nice to Dudley, it's almost out of character the way they act to Harry. I also want to talk about the questions someone had asked about Quote, how would Harry feel about the burrow if his parents were still alive? End quote. I think that growing up with two loving parents and a lot of money might have gone to his head. One count on which Harry and Ron related to each other was because they both had suffered in different ways. Ron's reluctance in the Sorcerer's Stone to tell Harry about his situation, or his poorness, was counterbalanced by Harry telling him about how his aunt and uncle abused him and how he never got birthday presents. If Harry was just a kid... Used to all the luxuries, they may never have bonded. On the other hand, being a Ron Weasley fan, I'd like to think they would become best friends anyway because of fate. Okay, well, that's about it. Thanks for reading, Abby. I think Harry would have been a snob had he had both parents. Yeah, I mean, he he was he was the way he was raised was really was really just unique. And think, well, the, I mean, his parents were obviously loaded. Yeah, uh, but imagine, but look at Lily. I mean, she really tried to stomp out that that. Uh, arrogant side of james like something must have happened where i mean if you look at snape's worst memory from book five you know 
Lily detests James being this 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 pompous ass, as it were. So, you know, even though he has lots of money and stuff, or they have lots of money later, don't you think that Lily being a mother, if Harry had his mother, that Lily would, would, would kind of, um, you know, foster him away from that kind of attitude? She would probably try to, mm. but... I mean, I, I don't know. I guess I guess there, there are plenty of kids. I mean, it's unfair to say just because if he had love from both parents that he would turn out to be kind of yeah. snobby and not become friends with somebody like Ron. Um, it, it, but it, the way again, he was raised, though, definitely put him in a unique situation. Yeah. And and he wouldn't actually be Harry frickin' Potter, um, you know, if, right. if his parents of were course. still alive. Yeah. Um, they'd, still be, they'd still be famous, though, you know, for being ours or... You know, in the order and mm-hmm. standing up to Voldemort, but all right. Next email is from Aparna nineteen from India. Uh, she writes about two things in chapter two of Chamber of Secrets when Dobby says he not he who must not be named and winds his eyes as if trying to give Harry a clue. It is not because he is hinting at his master. He reveals later in the last chapter after being freed by Harry that he was trying to give him a clue, saying the Dark Lord before he changed his name could be freely named, you see. Do you guys get that? Yeah, do it's, you? I, I, I understand what she's saying, but it's kind of, I, I just, I never liked that part about the book, where it's like, you know, he who must not be named, no, but it was him when he was young. And I wonder mm-hmm. how Dobby even knows that if Lucius, there was another email we got um, that I read from the inbox in response to that chapter that we read that said, um, how did Dobby know that it was actually Voldemort as a kid who was the Horcrux if Lucius Malfoy didn't really know that the diary was a Horcrux or what exactly the diary did. So it's a, it a question of what Dobby knew because he was able to give Harry this hint, but obviously mm. Lucius was you know kept out of the blue uh, on, on, on a large you know bit about right. what the diary was. But Dobby. he also – sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say that he he also mentioned – we talked about it last show with – he knows that it's something that Dumbledore might not even be aware of. So it's possible that he knew about something like Horcruxes even – I don't know how he can know, but it seems like he does. Well, through house elf magic is – you know, it's implied, but how did he know that it was Tom Riddle, you know, Voldemort as a kid specifically? That just seems uh, a step further. You know, into into the mystery about, you know, how Dobby was able to know because that was a very specific hint. Because Harry flat out asked if it was Voldemort, and Dobby had to give him a no answer, even though it was like, yes, it was. So it was, it's almost like a like technicality. It, it is it's a technicality. So specific, yeah. Because he's saying no, not really. It's not Voldemort. It's Tom Riddle. And... Like for for all intents and purposes, given the diary is a Horcrux, a fragment of the actual Voldemort's soul from when he was Voldemort, I would say it was Voldemort. You know that that was causing these issues. Like it's it's an, almost a non-issue that he's not, that it's not Voldemort. All right, and then the second point of her email. Somehow, I always assume that the reason why Dobby drops the pudding might be not just to get Harry into trouble with Vernon, but perhaps also because he thinks Harry might get expelled or suspended or something like that. I think that's a good point. I didn't realize that at the time when we recorded last episode. Yeah, good point. That, that that's what I oh, I feel really strange right now because that's what I thought it was all along. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I guess <laughs> you should have just been like, on the last episode. <laughs> hey, what did you think it was for? Well, we were speculating why was it just to get Harry in trouble? Like, what? How? How would that have gotten? We said, how would that have gotten Harry? What did we say, Micah? <laughs> I remember oh, it, yeah, but I don't. Putting me on the spot. Um, <laughs> or Eric? I don't. Yeah, it was. It was. How would how would that stop him from going to Hogwarts? Dropping a cake on uh, his right. That's it. So unless so unless Dobby knew that uh, uh, using a hover charm, unless he knew the way that the Ministry tracks uh, underage magic, which is possible, they did. But I don't know that letter from the Ministry. Right. Because uh, would have yeah. would it wouldn't it wouldn't the Ministry have detected Dobby was doing it instead of Harry? You know, no, they wouldn't, because if you're under the same house as an underage wizard, and you're the only wizard in the house, they, they just would scan it. Like that's how oh. Harry got in trouble for it. But okay. at the same time, he wasn't expelled when he used magic in movie five. The Patronus charm, a far less, uh, you know, hurtful, harmful spell than the Hover charm can be, right. I suppose. Um, <laughs> he was expelled from Hogwarts. So, and, and just on the those, spot, those were obviously. completely different circumstances, though. It wasn't the it wasn't the Patronus that got Harry expelled. It was that he, there were people who wanted him expelled. Well, not or, only or, that, but they had had the they had had the hover charm as the the, the precedent. Yeah, as that well. too. Mm. But both were used in front of a Muggle, so that's something else too. The next email is from Laura Caboose, nineteen years old, from Honduras. Uh, subject: Chamber of Secrets, chapter. Oh, okay. Hi, guy. <laughs> IP address. <laughs> Favorite food. <laughs> the information we collect. All right, here we go. All right. from our listeners. All right. Here's 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 a, here's a letter. Hi, guys. I know that in the last episode you were wondering how Dobby could get Harry's mail, and I thought about Half Blood Prince when Harry stays at the Burrow over the summer, and we find out that the Ministry is intercepting the Weasley's mail. So I thought that maybe you could do a spell to change the address where the mail is delivered. Anyway, you guys are great, but I can't believe you are rereading the books until now. <laughs> Keep up the great work. Well, I, I imagine I imagine Dobby would, you know, kind of just park outside the window <laughs> yeah, and wait for the mail to come. And then I'll take like, that. Yeah. <laughs> he would just intercept sure it. it. I, I mean, I doubt... He had to do some complex spell. I mean, yeah, it probably is something simple like that, isn't it? He would just wait uh, and be invisible outside well, the mailbox. What, what I thought was interesting was that, um, you know, no owl appeared outside Privet Drive, and Harry's owl Hedwig was locked in her cage. So Dobby was able to intercept mail, but Harry didn't notice anything strange like Hedwig not reappearing. Or, you know, if he had sent her out, if he was able to send letters to his friends. Right. And I so, think Hedwig, Hedwig, would Hedwig give the mail to Dobby or would she want to take it directly to Harry? Would, would well, it be, right. It'd probably be easier for some random owl to get, mm-hmm. to get the mail from them than from Hedwig. And it's weird because you got to assume that, like, Ron Weasley used Errol, the near-death owl, uh, to, to deliver some letters. And, you know, Errol's been known to, quote, get lost or whatever, but... You know, none of those letters were delivered, so it was really, I don't know, it's just really weird, but it was kind of cool how Dobby had somehow managed to intercept all of his mail. Micah, could you read the last email? Uh, last email comes from Grant of Brisbane, Australia, and uh, he says, Hi, Mugglecasters. Great show, especially with chapter by chapter at the beginning just after the news. Keep that up. Something that nobody seems to have picked up on is that Dobby was acting under Lucius Malfoy's orders, orders that he could not disobey no matter what his personal opinions. If you don't understand Dobby's actions, it's because you're missing this point. Ooh. 
Yeah, I know, right? Slapping us. Man. Everything Dobby did was to prevent Harry from returning to Hogwarts, no matter what reasons he gave for his actions. He was rationalizing his behavior, not necessarily telling the truth. Lucius Malfoy didn't want Harry at Hogwarts because he didn't want Harry interfering with his plans for the diary. Harry had already thwarted Voldemort once at the end of Philosopher's Stone, and Lucius was trying to make sure Harry wasn't there to interfere this time. There were no terrible plans for Harry if he returned to Hogwarts other than what Dobby was going to do at Lucius's bidding. Malfoy did not know what Tom Riddle would have sorry. Malfoy did not know that Tom Riddle would have a chance to kill Harry. That was unexpected. Riddle says as much. Whatever the diary told Lucius, killing Harry was not part of the plan. Dobby is sending mixed messages because he's acting against his will. He likes Harry, but he is under orders to prevent Harry from returning the cake, the barrier at the platform, and so on. Even attacking Harry with the bludger in Quidditch was to chase Harry away from Hogwarts. Not something Dobby wanted to do. He was compelled. Mm. I feel opposite about this. Where is I the do proof? Too. Yeah. Where no is proof. the... Yeah. I mean, it seems like... I mean, that's the thing. That's the funny you know, joke. Try not to help me from now on, Dobby. Because, I mean, things like the bludger attack were a house elf without orders you know, behaving the way he thought he had to because of his mixed emotions inside. Dobby is the, the symbol for house elf empowerment because he follows his own I mean he was I, I didn't think he was sent to the to the to the der, private drive at all. And that was the point. No. Like Well yeah Dobby there's kept no saying evidence. he'd have to shut his hands in the, it, it, the that's oven. the why it, that's the reason why he was beating the crap out of himself right. throughout the book. Because he wasn't right. supposed to be not that he was ordered to private drive. Yeah, because she says this person says here, uh, Lucius didn't want Harry at Hogwarts because he didn't want Harry interfering with his plans for the diary. That doesn't, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. It's, yeah, you guys are right. It's the opposite here. Yeah, there's no evidence to support that Lucius never wanted Harry at Hogwarts. Right, and and, the, and, and the entire I guess, book. Yeah, and an opportunity to refute it would be that when Riddle is telling Harry at the end about how he discovered Harry's existence, it was through Ginny writing about Harry um, that he even really discovered that Harry had been the fall of Voldemort, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. Well, it's because Dobby knew of the plan, the evil plan that was going to happen, and he yeah. wanted to keep Harry away from there. That's why he was... Trying yeah, to prevent I Harry. I don't think we missed coming. anything, and he was actually sent to Privet Drive. Oh no, yeah, I don't think that's how it happened. But yeah. thanks for the attitude, Brisbane. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's just it's an interesting point. point if it was actually true. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, like like Ben said. I mean, the the whole the important thing to keep in mind is that Dobby was trying to protect Harry uh, against coming to school because he knew what Lucius was doing with the diary. So, right. Anyway, let's move on now to this week's chapter by chapter segment, which is chapters four through six in Chamber of Secrets. And uh, these three chapters basically focus on Harry's preparation journey and start at Hogwarts. His and, second year. Yes. And we're going to start uh, with chapter four, which was Flourish and Blots. Uh, we don't have a we don't have music for this, do we yet? Like chapter, chapter by chapter by chapter. No, no, no. I'm sorry. No intro. Gotta hire some people <laughs> to do that. Uh, Mike, do you want to kick it off? Sure. I just gotta find it in the doc. Okay. So uh, the first chapter at Flourish and Blots um, 
fourth chapter. I, well, technically. All right. The first chapter we're discussing. Yeah. All right. But um, it starts off at the, they're still at the borough, and Harry notes that everyone at the borough seems to like him, which is a huge contrast from what he's used to his time at Privet Drive. And uh, during his time there, he feels extremely guilty hearing the Weasleys discussing their finances once all the letters from Hogwarts arrive and, and how they're going to pay for everything now with um, you know Ginny going to school as well. And it particularly gets worse even later in the chapter when he goes to Gringotts and he tries to <laughs> – what? No, no, go ahead. What are you laughing at? Well, I, it, it, it was kind of a funny thing how Harry was trying to hide, hide, hide uh, hit the, all his gold sitting in his vault from the Weasley's eyes. And the, the way but, it was written, the way it was written was like the saddest ex- excerpt from the books because it describes the Weasley's vault as being this <laughs> giant, cavernous, empty. Yeah. Thing, and, and Molly's like sweeping, you know, the corners trying to see if there's a, a little, you know, yeah. a sickle or a, a nut that may have been left somewhere. So sad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, I have a question. Is, I need to clear yeah. this up. Um, what? Okay, do you guys remember the Scholastic Pronunciation Guide? Um, yes. Okay. Is it yeah. Canute or is it Oh, nut? right. Is it a Canute or is it a nut? I don't know. We'll find out. We'll have to consult that thing. Well, the Pronunciation Guide says <laughs> Canute. Well, then it must Canute. be Canute. All right. I called it Canute for about five years, and then I switched back to nut. Well, why would they even bother... <laughs> confusing kids like obviously that that reads as nut <laughs> correct me if i'm nuts but i i'm pretty sure that's how it's supposed to oh so i tried <laughs> but yeah the weasleys only have i think it's they said they only have one galleon like a few sickles and one galleon in their <laughs> entire vault all right here we go this is the official pronunciation according to scholastic Canutes. Canutes. Let's hear it again. Canutes. Canutes. Those British people. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Canutes. <laughs> well, no, the, they have the little pronunciation spelling, and it's got an apostrophe after the K. So, Canutes. That might Canutes. be how they pronounce it in you know in English, but we speak American. American. Canutes. Yeah, it's exactly. Nuts. America. We could just ask J.K. Rowling when she's on the show next week. Right. <laughs> the pronunciation guide is laughing at us. Um, good. Uh, so yeah, I mean that I agree with Emerson. It, it was well written, and you you feel for Harry when he's trying to f- keep you it. Just, you can just picture him cracking the door to his vault open, yeah. and the gold spilling out. Yeah, <laughs> and he is a very oh, modest that? person, so it really must have been hard. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but another question would be, why did he never offer to to pay for anything? For the it's, Weasleys, it's, he did. Why though. should he? He though? gave his whole Triwizard winnings to the to the Weasley. But I, I think that's where he found it was appropriate. Is the thing like, you know, Harry? I'm sure Harry would have. And Harry's bought food and stuff like the trolley, for instance. In year one, he bought all that candy for him and Ron. But I just don't think that that was. I mean, it just wasn't a, appropriate, like an opportune moment for him to do that. I, I get the right. feeling that Ron's a mooch. <laughs> probably, he's probably he probably never has lunch money. He never has anything, and he's always and he's always making Harry buy him buy him crap. Like you know they're they're in you know in Hogsmeade, and he just he just goes crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I I don't think it was the right time for Harry to be like lending the Weasleys money, and really, I don't think they would have accepted it. 
Well, I mean, yeah. Harry walks up to Molly and Arthur in front of their kids and is like, here, yeah, yeah. take this for your school supplies. Right. So that would be kind of <laughs> My dead parents moment. left this for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah they feel guilty. Uh, so then we get into Nocturne Alley, and uh, there's a lot of little things hidden in in this room. Uh, first, on page 50, we see uh, this quote. Harry looked quickly around and spotted a large black cabinet to his left. The vanishing cabinet. The vanishing cabinet. Morgan and Burks. Um, so th- that was some beautiful uh, foreshadowing. And then some other lines, uh, page 51 and 52. Can I have that? Interrupted Draco, pointing at the withered hand on its cushion. Ah, the hand of glory, said Mr. Borgen, abandoning abandoning Mr. Malfoy's list and scurrying over to Draco. Insert a candle and it gives light only to the holder. Best friend of thieves and plunderers. Your son has fine taste, sir. Wow. I'm going to vote for a uh, Andrew Sims version of the uh, the Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets audiobook. Oh, thanks. That was <laughs> perhaps, well perhaps the most intriguing thing about analyzing the Harry Potter books is that unlike a movie, when they introduce a new character or they deliberately, you know, the camera zooms in on something and it's it, it's clearly meant to foreshadow, J.K. Rowling introduces so many characters and so many magical objects, and so many places, and so many things that you just have no idea what's foreshadowing, and no idea what's just right. her Eccentric. imagination. Right. Yeah. What's just her ability to create a world so vivid as the Harry Potter world. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And these things come into play. I mean, they, you know, this Borgen and Burks, little did we know at this point that Voldemort used to work there. You know, and, and, and that sort of thing. So there's all these coincidences, yeah. but there's also, you know, characters like Emerson Zed that were just introduced either far before their time or that are still introduced and still even fleshed out a bit who are just there in the moment for, you know, comedic relief or, you know, any other kind of, you know, various reasons. Yeah, but it's safe think, to I say a lot of thought or, went into this. I, right. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was just saying it's safe to say a lot of thought went into – yeah, I don't think I've ever read a book or seen a movie that introduced so many pieces of unnecessary information <laughs> but still kept you on your toes because you knew some of it was going to be important. Right. So instead of the movie, the camera that lingers for five and a half minutes you know, on, on a number <laughs> or a face, <laughs> it's so subtle. It seems so yeah. unimportant. And, and like Ben said, I mean the, the, just the planning ahead to think you, you're going to include this or the Hand of Glory and many other little hints five, six books later. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder, I wonder. I wonder what thought process led to her inserting these random clues throughout know. the books. Did she just come up? Like, did she just go back and say, "Hmm, maybe I can throw the hand of glory in here." <laughs> See if I catch that. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe she could have, uh, have us all fooled. And while she's writing book six and book seven, she just goes back into the older books, finds some things she can reference. I mean, you know. That that yeah. sounds like we're cheapening her writing, but I. Oh, well, that's smart though. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah, or maybe I reinvent she, the wheel. Right, or she could yeah. have it all in her head. I mean, we do know she planned out most of the series, and and all of the these get-go. objects too. Even if they're not exact replicas, they are inspired by actual artifacts. Like, I mean, I'm not just talking about the Sorcerer's Stone and what she did with that, but things like the Hand of Glory and uh, opal necklaces. All of that may have some some you know, historical 
uh, connotations. When she talks about druids, you know, being a certain place or doing a certain thing or some hags laughing in a bar, it's significant because of, you know, other, you know, historical or fictitious accounts, other literary references that she's playing on. She's just, she's brilliant. All these little various things have all sorts of meaning, every single little bit of it. That's why a lot of people, I mean, that's why it's very easy to get lost in this series, why you could, you know, live off nothing but it for a while. All right, well, uh, let's continue moving along. Uh, Another quote of some beautiful foreshadowing. Uh, Draco paused to examine a long coil of hangman's rope and to read, smirking, the card propped on a magnificent necklace of opals. Is that the right pronunciation? Caution, do not touch if you are Katie Bell. Caution, do (laughs) not touch. Cursed has claimed the lives of 19 muggle owners to date. 19. Now, why do you think she put 19 in there? That is a big number. 19. 1 plus 9 is 10. 9 minus 1 is 8. <laughs> minus 1 is 7. Oh. Meaning 7 books, you know, ben, 7 ben, years of Hogwarts. We, we talked about this at some point uh, You know, when we analyzed Half-Blood Prince. We probably devoted a whole episode to it. Yeah, maybe. Well, I, I just think it's so funny because, you know, overanalyzing things is what we do. And, we do. Yeah. and a lot of times, I remember a few years ago, there was a Christmas post on MuggleNet because J.K. Rowling did an update on her site. And it just we just took it way too far because it was like, if you take the number of presents beneath the tree minus the number of Christmas tree ornaments oh, divided the number by... the purple ornaments. That was, that was I'm not going to say who, but one of our staff members came up with that idea and insisted it would be posted. It was an insane uh, right. theory. It was, just, it was just a little bit crazy. It was crazy. I completely agree. Oh man! When they were reading, when they were reading the scene, and, and Draco sees the the magnificent necklace of opals, and it says "Do not touch." You know, has, has killed nineteen people. They almost just kind of visualize this necklace just kind of like hanging there, and kind of imagine if you were just walking through the store and you kind of tripped and fell and died. <laughs> I'd, I'd still be tempted to touch it because I'd be like, does this really kill people? Kill me, yeah. Ben, come over here. Come try this for me. Try what? Touching the opal necklace. Oh, you have I was one? Pretend- no, I was pretending. Like- oh. and the other thing, it, it doesn't say how it kills them. Like, does it strangle them? I mean, we don't know at this point that if you touch it. Makes it makes them fly right. up in the air 20 feet, and then they spin around in circles and right. look really creepy. Well, we and know then- that, but wouldn't it just be like any other muggle device that doesn't behave the way it should, like teapots eating people, you know. I don't know. Or a necklace strangling people. It's just it's so it's it's awesome. And we also, while he's in Borgen and Burks hear from Lucius, he says, I would remind you that it is not prudent to appear less than fond of Harry Potter, not when most of our kind regard him as the hero that made the Dark Lord disappear. So do you guys think was Lucius trying to was he was he trying he was still mentoring Harry to say, hey, don't make fun of him but you know that changes later on in the books uh, where Lucius doesn't really care why was he still telling him to care at this point to to pay Harry respect or show respect because he because at the time you have to look at the conditions in the wizarding world you know the dark lord isn't back on the rise at this point Mm -hmm. everybody's still you know Harry's still the big hero and the Malfoys are all they're big on appearance and that's the entire way they were able to get out of you know, when the Dark Lord fell the first time, you know, everyone just said they were under the Imperius curse or they, they really weren't serving him and that kind of thing. And so they need to maintain that image. And if their kids running around hating Harry Potter, then it, it's that, that, that would be detrimental mm. to that image. Yeah, you're right. 
you know, during the conversation, Morgan mentions Malfoy's manner, and uh, it's something that it's kind of little, but it's stressed in italics by J.K. Rowling. And I was just wondering, do you think this was a clue to tie back into the discussion that Ron and Fred and George and Harry had in the car ride over to the borough? You know, they're talking about Lucius Malfoy and the fact that he has this this manner and, and somebody of that stature would have a house elf. Um, so, you know, as Emerson was pointing out before, there's all these little things throughout the course of the books. But could that be a tie back to that conversation they were having to kind of give the reader a hint that Dobby could belong to the Malfoys? I think so. Yeah. I think the reader's going to, you know, close reader's going to say, oh, he has a manner. You know, and it's it's kind of fits his stature, and uh, but yeah, house elves. It's already been stated that house elves live in manners, so can definitely be made that connection. And it's likely that Dobby couldn't have been, you know, with the Malfoys, but he was in the end. So it's cool. And um, this, I don't think there's much discussion in this, but then we meet Lucius Malfoy. And he says, I would have thought you'd be ashamed that a girl of no wizard family beat you in every exam. Uh, he snapped at Draco. Ooh. Oh. And um, Mr. Weasley loves the fact that Lucius was selling at Borgen and Burke's. This is something we find out shortly thereafter. And it means that he's it's, worried. It's interesting that uh, Harry's reaction to that, uh, Lucius bullying Draco, is actually... He was um, happy he to see us. Yeah. He says, he says, ha, you know, because he feels great that Draco feels like crap. Right. But actually, um, it's kind of in contrast to how Harry normally feels because his best friend was just insulted, you know. I mean, in a way, it was yeah. like, you Well, know. he was kind of giving her props in a way. I mm-hmm. mean, indirectly, because she was the top in the class. I mean, yeah. even yeah. though she doesn't have a wizard family, at least she, at least she didn't call her mudblood. But he's just <laughs> picking on his own kid, you know. <clears throat> Yeah. So, and we, and we get a real taste for him, though. I mean, talking about a girl of no wizard family kind of gives you an idea of who he is as an individual and you know what his views are. Yeah. He's a prejudiced bastard. Pretty much. Yeah. And then moving along, we see that Mr. Weasley likes the idea of spending time with muggles, and in particular Hermione's parents. We see him talking them up. And... I feel like I can totally relate to Arthur when it comes to his fascination with muggles. Sorry, I know this is like the most unimportant part of the entire chapter, perhaps the entire book series. But uh, if I were a wizard and I got used to just flicking my fingers and making stuff happen, like to to, to find out the amazingly complex system of mechanics and social order that the muggles have come up with to get by without magic. Like think of think about complex a car is or a computer. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would feel stupid compared to Muggles. <laughs> right. Well, and I feel like it's a very of... dumb jock who just can like lift things up instead of having to have these. You know, Muggles are would be awesome. <laughs> well, it's sort of like people in the Stone Age talking to us, us, and being fascinated by, uh, you know, the stuff we created. You know, yeah, cavemen to, to could see... never have imagined cars. <laughs> <laughs> to see what we've done with the wheel is would just be to, to <laughs> right. blow their mind. Exactly. I mean, or, or vice versa, us talking to cavemen and being like, how did you survive without an iPhone? I still ask some people that question. <laughs> I don't know how I do it, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> Andrew's, Andrew's had like seven iPhones in the past two years. Oh, God. But, um, That's not but true. there's this note here, guys. Do, who's, is somebody going to read that? On yeah, this my, my point with this was... Um, Hermione's parents were in Diagon Alley. Joe made that clear. But my question is, aren't there any rules? Are there any limits who's allowed to enter? 
There's a bouncer, actually. Well, I guess that would make sense, wouldn't it? I mean, there's got to be some sort of regulation. Because couldn't I, – I guess Hermione's parents know that they can't just bring anyone in and be like, hey, everybody come check out this magic stuff. <laughs> But where where is the line? Can they tell extended family members about Hermione? Can they not? Because, you know, the ministry is all secret. They don't want any magic to get out. Yeah, but yet they have these totally muggle people. Totally muggle. Like, completely muggle. Yeah, and Diagon Alley, seeing all this magic. Uh, and my well, question let's be is, real what, here. Can, what can and can't they see? Is the other thing. Because, I mean, the, the, there's like this recurring theme in the books. Oh, muggles, they don't notice nothing, do they? And, you know, that's Dan Shunpike in, in, in Prisoner of Azkaban. But, you know, they can obviously occupy this, this space because they're here in Diagon Alley. And what, just what do they make of it? And what, Yeah, what, what if the muggles are just sitting there and they have no idea? They don't even – they can't see anything going on. And they're just so confused and, like, this is so boring. <laughs> <laughs> well, if the if, – What are we doing here? Let's be honest, though. If the, if the Wizarding World were real uh, – it, like it would be it'd be on Twitter, you know what I mean? Like it would, like it would the cat would <laughs> right. be let out of the bag. Somebody would be like, "Oh my god, I'm in the wizard!" Yeah, I'm staring at moving paintings. Yeah, but I mean, there are other things like places like Hogwarts that that you know make you mentally, you know, remember that you've forgotten something when you show up. Uh, you know, are there similar restrictions on Muggles who visit Diagon Alley to accompany their kid to school? Well, I guess they they have to let parents because you know parents want to protect their kids. I don't know. I think that's that would be another interesting. Write that down, Micah. Interesting question for Joe number four hundred and ninety-two. Maybe there's a charm that can week. measure. In, maybe there's a charm that can measure intent. Ah. You're not allowed to enter Diagon Alley. Yeah. If you have malicious they, intent, they should apply that to Hogwarts students then, so that they don't become Voldemort. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's continue. All right. So we meet uh, Gilderoy Lockhart, and he just throws Harry into the spotlight. Uh, the competition follows Draco, and J.K. Rowling again stresses in italics, uh, referring to Ginny as Harry's girlfriend. Draco referring to Ginny as Harry's girlfriend. Is this foreshadowing, or is she just trying to emphasize the sneering? I doubt it's foreshadowing at this point. I mean, yeah. You do? Yeah, I, I mean... It's not direct foreshadowing. It's not really foreshadowing. I, I mean, it, it's because of the events, like, it's because of quotes, comments like that early in the series that I was so open to and, like, happy that Ginny and Harry did get together. Yeah. Um, but look, like, you also have to look at it from the, um, the, the what, the 11 or 12-year-old age range where, you know, in elementary school or middle school, when you say, she your girlfriend, you know, it's, <gasps> it's like, no, what are you talking about? Like you know, everyone's everyone yeah. is offended to uh, you know be but, teased that someone has a girlfriend. That kind of. But thing. so far, just in this chapter, we've gone over at least two things already that are um, items that play a significant role in book six. I'm, 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 there are certain books um, in the Harry Potter series that go together quite, quite, quite similarly. I don't know if you guys you, you get like two and six, for instance, are very similar. Um, you know, we're we're talking about Borgen and Burks, which we learn all about the backstory of in book six. Right. Um, Harry, you know, Ginny is Harry's girlfriend. Uh, the Horcruxes, you know, is a big deal because yeah. the first Horcrux is the diary, which happened in book two and becomes a big role in book six. Well, you know, we've talked these, about these, this before. Yeah, these know. books are – we had a main discussion on this, how one is like seven, two is like six, three is like five. Yeah. 
And four I, is I just know two is like six. So, so we're seeing lots of these things that connect to, yeah. to later books and, and specifically six. It's, Chamber it's of brutal. Secrets and Half-Blood Prince especially are very closely connected. And as we all know, we've brought up a million times, there was may have it backwards. There was a chapter that was going to be in Chamber of Secrets that was moved to Half-Blood Prince, correct? Yeah, I think she yeah, said that. Yeah. Okay, so then we get into this fight between Arthur and Lucius. And honestly, I forgot about this because I'm so used to seeing the movie where this doesn't happen, but we'll talk, we'll talk about that later. Um, we really begin to see the core differences between these two pure-blood families. This is where Lucius slips the diary uh, to Ginny. And as Micah writes, isn't that awfully convenient? Yeah, I mean, what are the chances that he runs into the Weasleys that he can slip it into uh, Ginny's uh, – I forget which book it was. You learn later in the in Chamber of Secrets which book it got put into. But uh, even in the movie, obviously, it, it's one of those camera moments where it's up, not really up close, but you can kind of see it you happening. You see it, yeah. There's a specific There's shot. There's no hint to it though here. Right. Which makes it, it makes it kind of – you know, at the end of the book, it's – well, how did – Harry figure out that it was Lucius who slipped it in at Diagon Alley. Other than Dobby just, you know, nodding his head. But right. it, it's just one of those things where you've, you'd think with all the detail that J.K. Rowling puts into the books that she would have somehow been able to write her way around it. Well, yeah. there there is the reference, when, you know, later in this chapter, it's the same chapter when Ginny says, oh, I forgot my diary, and they have to go back to the borough. Trying yes. to get to King's Cross on time when they it's have the beginning to go back of the next chapter for her diary. Oh, it is. Sorry, my bad. Um, but yeah, and and it's like none of the family says, "Oh, you've never had diary before." But it's a specific mention of Ginny's diary, which you know the movie did it better at showing. You know, Lucius slipping in the book. It's an all-out fist fight, as Andrew said. So it's well, whereas it's in. conceivable. Yeah. yeah, whereas it's conceivable that that Lucius would do that. It is. It is a question. You know that, that Harry knew that that's what had happened, but. I guess, I mean, but how could they have? How could they have like hinted at the slip? Like, what could they have said? Like, Ginny's cauldron mysteriously had an extra <laughs> yeah, book in that's, it. That's well, no, maybe maybe Joe could have highlighted Lucius putting the book in. Harry could have sworn it looked just a tad different than the one she had oh, in there prior. That, I don't know. Come on, it's J.K. Rowling. You know, is there. It's a distraction. And but if you mean, read it at the time, you wouldn't have thought about it. Well, I, I mean, think. isn't it awfully convenient? That's kind of like saying, well, I mean, they can do magic. Isn't that, like, <laughs> really convenient? <laughs> yes, but, okay. It, J- well, J- how would the book have gotten there otherwise? That's the better question, I guess. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Well, how would the diary have gotten How would it have ended up at Hogwarts? Oh, yeah. Well, just give it to Draco. It was mailed. Yeah, maybe maybe Joe could have read it. There's a million ways it could have got to Hogwarts. Yeah. I just think reading it again uh, after knowing what happens, it would have been cool to, like, see the little hint. I agree with that. Let's move on, though. Uh, Some random other little facts, just to note, to wrap up this chapter. Ginny still acts weird around Harry. Uh, Percy has been holed up in his room for most of the summer. We're introduced to travel by flu powder. Mrs. Weasley says when the letters arrive at the borough that Dumbledore, quote, doesn't miss a trick, end quote. Uh, She jokes at the expense – there are jokes at the expense of the bird's molting gray feather duster. Wait, what? What? What is this? (laughs) This, I I put that in. I'm sorry. It's it's not in proper person. Um, There are two jokes about the owls, about Errol. 
Like oh. at first, Harry thinks Errol is a molting gray feather duster. Oh, <laughs> turns out he's a bird. Right. And then Hermione's note to Ron saying, "I hope Harry's okay, but if you want to tell me about it, uh, you should probably use a different bird because another delivery might finish your one off." Yeah. It was a great Hermione light. It's probably one of my favorite things she's said or written, and and I thought I'd put it in because it's like. Why is J.K. Rowling being gruel to the birds? Like, right. what did birds ever do to J.K. Rowling? Well, she That's must have question. something about him. She killed Hed- Hedwig. Yeah, exploded Hedwig. Yeah. So let's move on to the next chapter, The Whomping Willow. Uh, they – so Eric mentioned this earlier. There's a quote on page 66. They had almost reached the highway when Ginny shrieked that she had left her diary. Now – I don't really see it as a hint. I think it's sort of a clever little addition. But then we also saw who else forgot something? Fred, Fred or George? forgot yeah. the broomstick. George right. forgot his fireworks or the other way around. Mm. But man, she leaves a diary at home. This book's over. You know? <laughs> yeah, there's, no, there's no point. Like, <laughs> if Arthur Weasley said, you know, screw it, I'll mail it to you. Well, so it's really still. Arthur's fault. For not being a firmer father. Right. <laughs> and not saying, no, you forgot you get a book. You get it, it when you get home. Um, and then this is also the chapter where Harry and Ron cannot get through the entrance to Platform 9 and 3 quarters. And so this brings up a couple debates. You know, they try to get in. Then they're like, oh, shoot, what should we do? Um, and Ron notes that he doesn't know when his parents will be coming back. Although it should be kind of obvious because they waited till. They tried to get in like a minute before the train left. Then they knew the train had left. So theoretically, his parents should have been coming out very soon thereafter. Um, So the question is, why didn't they, ignoring the fact that this is a story and Joe could have just simply changed the plot, the question is, why why, why did they take the car? Why couldn't they have just waited for Ron's parents? Because you have to look at the fact that they just came off year one where they were these big heroes, where they're doing big things, and whenever a big problem presents itself, you come up with an even bigger solution. And so that's, in this situation nice in this situation, you know, they're they're pretty they're pretty confident in right. themselves and they think, yeah. you know what? We'll just take the car. I mean mom and dad can operate it all makes sense and without really thinking it through like the kids they were at the time. They yeah. just dived head on think- and they screwed up. I think I th- honestly, I think it's because J.K. Rowling wanted to put the scene with the flying car, and I think she just oh, didn't do it. Oh, that's the cop out. It, but it, it just—I don't see. I, like it, there's like you said, they sh- the parents should have come out and like a minute later. They could have J.K. Rowling could have wrote a better excuse in there, like oh well, the parents would apparate straight back to their house, or maybe the parents wouldn't come back, and then you know then there'd be a legit excuse because then they could be you know a day late getting to Hogwarts or something right, like that. Right. That's true. Um, yeah. Yeah. And but then, taking the car, I mean, taking the car was Ron's idea. I mean, it wasn't wasn't anybody else. So I yeah. mean, Ron could be. I mean, it's a grandeur thing, I guess, according to Ben. Um, but it was Ron's idea. Like, hey, wait, Harry, the car. Yeah. So, all right, good, Mikey. You want to take the next point? Yep. Uh, so they eventually work their way to Hogwarts, and they crash into the Whomping Willow. And as they're going up to the castle, they're greeted by Snape, and when asking about the car with no seemingly prior knowledge, J.K. Rowling notes this wasn't the first time Snape had given Harry the impression of being able to read minds. So we all know that Snape is very accomplished at reading people's minds. It's also referenced in Sorcerer's Stone 
So again, just a little bit of foreshadowing, I think, as to what Snape is able to be able to do. So my question is, is if if a teacher is able to read a student's mind, can they get them in trouble for something like, you know, it, you know, like when Harry has the Marauder's Map or whatever in, in Prisoner of Azkaban and Snape is like, what is this stupid thing, you know? And could he, like, read his mind and get him in trouble for the information that he never actually divulged, but his mind actually divulged it? Does that make sense? Well, there. the question is, too, like, mind reading and actually reading someone's thoughts and memory. Um, because there are plenty of moments in the book where Dumbledore gives Harry this piercing stare. I mean, Dumbledore does it, too. But Snape, you know, giving Harry the impression he could read minds. But then, you know, that's something separate from actually casting legilimens and... If you, I mean, because you remember in class with Snape and Harry, um, Harry like relives the memories that Snape is receiving, and seeing as that how that doesn't happen here, um, in in the book, you know, just at this moment, um, it's not the same thing. You know that that Snape can get a general, I guess, idea maybe of what's going on, but he's not reading, you know, Harry's thoughts. He's not intruding into his mind that far. So it seems yeah, I think like it's, it's more a the simple separate things, thing. Though. Yeah. Like in Sorcerer's Stone, he he seems to think that Snape knows that Harry is is gaining more and more knowledge about the Sorcerer's Stone because everywhere he seems to go, Snape seems to show up. And again, here, um, you know, he seems to be able to read Harry's mind at least at the very basic level to know what happened. He knew about the car. How would he possibly know about the car? Maybe he saw it driving across the. Uh, grounds i don't know well he had the copy of the evening prophet i mean that was that was in the book and the movie yeah you're right but at the same time it's just one of those things that i think is written in there so that when you go back and reread the series you're like oh she threw that in there as a little hint well the question here in the notes is you know was snape is that about snape trying to protect harry you know, like, why did Snape particularly notice in particular that Ron and Harry were particularly not in the Great Hall at the time of the sorting, you know, and come out and look for them? Was he especially concerned with Harry getting to Hogwarts? And if so, why? Well, maybe Dumbledore said to go look for him. I don't know. He trusts yeah. Snape. Greatly. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I was wondering about that because it just seems like it's it seemed like. He was – it was sort of a a testament to him caring even though he wouldn't show it and even though <laughs> Harry Ron wouldn't even consider it. Especially after that wonderful uh, – Snape has perhaps the best entrance ever in this book when Ron and Harry here are debating whether or not he got sacked. Right, right. <laughs> it's just – it's one of the greatest entrances I think in this series. Well, they, sh- they should have put that in the movie because that would probably have been pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. But – um. I also wanted to mention we're going to get into the the other things in this chapter. Um, we were just talking about that night right before they leave for school, and Ginny forgets her diary. Um, for so that's for one evening from the time they got back from Diagon Alley and before they left the next morning. That both a seventh of Voldemort's soul and a convicted murderer, a non-convicted murderer, was living as a rat in Ron's bedroom. The burrow was full of. Some very evil stuff that for just for that one evening, a Horcrux and Peter Pettigrew. You know, I was just thinking that because well, two Ron's Horcruxes, two, <laughs> two. Sorry, yeah. what? Oh, well, Harry. Harry. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, sorry, Ben. The two published authors among us have corrected me. One of them was Micah. That was Micah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought it was Ben. Clean sorry. the crap out of your ears. Okay, well, um, we got to speed this up a little faster. Um, speed it up a little more, I should say. Uh, other things to note, Ron's wand snaps. Micah, real quick, was there anything you wanted to say about that? No, that's why it's just other things to note. Okay, well, that's one thing to note. <laughs> and Dumbledore's humor, you know, it always shines through, It Andrew. does, Ben. What did he say in this chapter that really shined through? He said, come, Severus, there's a delicious-looking custard tart I want to sample. <laughs> I thought that was funny because Dumbledore is always about the food and, and you know. Socks. Socks. Random stuff. Knitting. <laughs> knitting patterns. Tarts. Yeah. Yep. So that that's good. Okay. So the final chapter we're talking about today, Gilderoy Lockhart. Uh, it starts off with Ron getting the howler. And Harry feels terrible for what he did after hearing Mr. Weasley was facing an inqu- inqu- inquiry at work. Uh and it's really funny, of course, because we see, and it's it 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 turned out great in the movie too. Mrs. Weasley yelling at Ron, and it's really bare. It's a really embarrassing moment for Ron too. And then uh, Lockhart think Lockhart later on thinks that the flying car. He pulls Harry aside. He's about to go into a herbology, and this is really funny. And Lockhart was so obnoxious in this book. I had forgotten. Um, he thinks that the flying car was a publicity son after he gave Harry a taste of fame and flourishing bots. He says, when I was 12, I was just as much of a nobody as you are now. In fact, I'd say I was even more of a nobody. I mean, a few people have heard of you, haven't they? All that business with he who must not be named. I thought that was so funny. Fame is a fickle friend. Celebrity <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, is he, as celebrity does. Is he supposed to be a... Like Hogwarts is resident metrosexual. Yes, I absolutely. Described him that way. I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was J.K. Rowling. I feel like <laughs> I was going to say it may, it may have been her. Well, I, he I don't, just, I don't he think just... she called him a, a metrosexual, though. I, I don't think Joe talks about that stuff. He's just one of those people who's so self-absorbed that they, you know, go as far as to, you know think that everything's about them like i, I, just, I gave yeah. you that taste of fame like why i remember the people that were do you guys remember the people that would come forward and say hey joe joe based lockhart on me you know there were like oh, at least right. two people that said that yeah but you know it's kind of like that song you're so vain <laughs> yeah, I, bet you I know i've been saying this for about a decade now but i still think you. that carrie elwes would have been an amazing gilderoy lockhart yeah who the guy from prince's no. bride and robin hood Though, do you uh, not like Kenneth Branagh as? No, he, he was no, he, he was good, but I think I think Carrie Elwes would have been amazing. Yeah, I think I think he should he should do something, movie seven. And then of course there's the uh, Mandrake mayhem, you know, all that crazy stuff going on, which was a clever little plot, but there's not much to discuss, so we'll just go right past it. Uh, we also meet uh, Colin Creevy, and Lockhart shows up again, thinking Harry is signing photographs of himself. <laughs> and that was really well-written. Lockhart's like, oh, I should have known it was Harry. Everyone was <laughs> taunting. And uh, so that was funny. And there's an interesting quote from Ron. In the mic. In the mic. Oh, there's an interesting quote from Ron. Uh, You'd better hope Creevy doesn't meet Jenny, or they'll be start- starting a Harry Potter fan club. And that's kind of interesting because right around then was like when MuggleNet and all these Harry Potter fan clubs were kicking off. 
I thought. When the book was published, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of uh, kind of funny timing. When I read that, I was like, ah. Oh. Thanks, Ron. Good idea. <laughs> Emerson, we'll get One to that later. later. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Now I know how you got the idea. You stole it from Ron. Oh, and Harry then, and then uh, Lockhart like attempts to uh, teach Defense Against the Dark Arts, and he, of course, fails miserably. And uh, Ron's the first question to me. He says, can you believe him? As because uh, this is like when when the pixies are happening, right? <clears throat> pisky pisky pestonomy. And then Her- then Harry uh, Harry of <laughs> course is you know telling like he doesn't have a clue what he's doing, and Hermione is kind of uh, love struck by Lockhart, <laughs> and she's you know defending him because he goes, he wrote books, and if he writes books, then he must know what he's talking about. <laughs> and Ron of course calls it by says he says he's done all this stuff. So that was interesting. Does anyone remember reading this for the first time and being like, hmm, I wonder if he was full of it or was he – did he actually ex- do all these scene, things? No, that, that scene made it pretty clear that he didn't – Yeah, <laughs> he, uh, he definitely did not perform all those yeah. amazing feats. So the question was, you know, did he fake them all or – He couldn't even handle pixels. He absolutely did. Yeah, yeah. he absolutely did fake them all, yeah. Okay, so uh, let's get into some listener questions and tweets. Cat16 from Los Angeles, California. SoCal holler. SoCal, baby. Woo! Me and Andrew, I, I, oh, I have to announce I'm, I'm permanently a resident of Southern California now. I have, uh, permanently? Spent. You're not like sneaking in someone's room while they're away on vacation? No, no. I actually have an apartment now. Damn. That's why I'm live here in the MuggleCast studio, and you can expect more of this uh, moving forward here in the future. You know? Glad to hear it. So... Again, Cat16 from SoCal writes, <laughs> Hey, MuggleCast, I just listened to the latest podcast, number 182, in which you guys talked about discussing chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Chamber of Secrets in your next episode. After going back and rereading these chapters, the Flourish and Blots bit got me wondering, what happens to wizarding families like the Weasleys who are short of money and are sending their kids to Hogwarts? When Hogwarts letters are sent out to first-year students, does the school faculty take into consideration whether or not the family can actually afford to send their kid to the school? I don't know if there's any kind of welfare system in the wizarding world or support from Hogwarts to help families in need, but it's obvious not everyone can live luxuriously like the Malfoys, where sending their kid to Hogwarts costs them next to nothing. If the family can't send their kid to Hogwarts, what other alternative do they have? Anyway, just wondering about what you guys thought. Love the show. It makes the bus ride to and from school much more enjoyable. I look forward to the next podcast. Cat. Don't you think like most colleges financial aid? Yeah, yeah. Student student loans. <laughs> right. You know, Gringotts probably has a program. You got a loan uh business on the side. I would like to know I would like to know what Muggleborn families do when they come to school. Is there like a galleon pound exchange rate? Well, obviously, makes me wonder why there makes me wonder why there would be because well, there is yeah. There's a reference in Chamber of Secrets to that. Um, to well, when we first meet Hermione's the, uh, parents, yeah, the Hermione's okay, there parents is there is seventeen sickles to it. Yeah, but it's like, but I, I just I, I wonder why wizards couldn't just easily conjure up fake you know pounds dollars and well, they not probably have waited to exchange money. Those goblins are clever. Yeah, they know how to. They could probably detect uh, detect the fake stuff. No, I don't mean for that. I mean if wizards wanted to use muggle money for some reason. It seems altogether oh. too easy for them to conjure up fake pound notes or fake dollar bills 
and no muggle's going to be able to detect it. Or they could just walk into a muggle store and just like Hold stun up. everybody really quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's, there's, walk there's, out there's a with million they spells want. they could use if they wanted yeah. any muggle goods. Well, yeah. Joe wrote this when the world wasn't as crazy as it is today. So. I know. <laughs> What's going on? So wait, you're telling me 10 years from now they're going to be – Questioning the galleon. Well, you know, exchange rate. <laughs> kind of speaking of that, there's this book that I really want to read. It's called The Magicians, and it's about this wizard who's in the real world. And apparently, it's been getting really good reviews. It's relatively new. It's by Lev Grossman, The Magicians, uh, and I'm sure some of you out there have read it. That there sounds will be original. A movie about it. <laughs> It's basically about this guy who lives – who's a wizard in the real world, and that sort of reminded me of it, Emerson. Uh, so I'm sure some of you have read it, and I'm cool. going to read it s- soon. But anyway, yeah, so I think we answered uh, Kat's question. Michael, would you like to read the next email? Oh, I get all the emails from, from Australia Brisbane. this week. Uh, this is from Alice Elizabeth Witt, 18, of Brisbane, Australia, and she says, Hi, Mugglecasters. As I was reading Chapter 4 at Flourish and Blot, I noticed something that I initially thought was absolutely ridiculous. However, the imagery made me consider it further. On page 49 of the American edition, Joe describes traveling by flu powder. She wrote, It felt as though he was being sucked down in a a giant drain. This description made me ponder the origin of the term flu powder. It seemed to me that Joe was trying to draw a parallel between this form of travel and being flushed down a giant toilet. Further, the word flu itself does contain the English term for a toilet, loo, in it. Is it possible that Joe derived the term flu powder from the word loo and in the latter its description from being flushed down a toilet? I know this must seem really bizarre, though I think it would be interesting to consider it in more detail. Love listening to the show, especially the chapter-by-chapter discussions. Thank you so much for producing such an awesome podcast, Alice Elizabeth. I think that makes sense. Yeah, that's really interesting. I never thought of it that way. Well, a, a flu is part of a chimney. Um. It's it's spelled F L U E, but it's 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 what the British refer to. It's a duct. I'm looking this no, up. No, but on we're Google. talking about the loo, L O O. No, it's it's yeah. like a perfect marriage of the two words. Right. It's oh, perfect. Joe's different done it spelling, before. Different spelling. Right. But but, but the word is it. flu, and it's actually part of a chimney. So it's it's, it. it's absolutely perfect for several reasons. I, I like I like this connection that Alice Witt has. Good job, Alice. Good job, so, Alice. But um, but it's funny because she's Australian, and I, I don't think that they have chimneys in Australia because it's never cold. All right, so. and a couple of tweets uh, from PewterWolf13. Why do you think Lockhart actually took the job of defense against the dark arts? Any theories, guys? Because they, he wanted another chance to... Promote his book? No, promote himself, yeah. Sell so his books, yeah. He's a shameless self-promoter. What else? What, yeah. would, would expect no less. <laughs> Well, if you look at the the list of required reading, all those Lockhart books, I think it was Hermione who said oh, almost the entire list sales. was Lockhart. Yeah, yeah book, so book sales, yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, mm. Next tweet from Shannon McAdoo. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like Dumbledore would have known how flaky some of these teachers, like Lockhart, were. Thoughts? Well, he was probably a, he, he, like at this point. Dumbledore's aware of the curse that was put on the position, and he's like, "Well, this putz doesn't matter. We might as well just let him take the job. Let him, you know, go die or go to St. Mungo's, whatever." That is very odd, though. Like every other Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher makes sense, except for Lockhart. What yeah. kind well, of position Moody, does that put Dumbledore in, though? Like morally, what? like knowing that the next teacher <laughs> he's going to hire is doomed. 
So it's like, like does it, is that part of like the interview process? Oh, by the way, like you this is a one year position. Like you don't have anything beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe Lockhart just wanted to sell his books. But with how smart he is, no matter I mean, what, why would you hire that guy? Although yeah, they did I say think right. in the book that not a lot of people were interested in the position because of oh, his track record. Oh, okay. Yeah, they, they, they always draw, she always draws up that they're a little desperate. But at the same time, I think the whole Lockhart being completely a fraud kind of grew on everybody. I mean, by the end of the year, the rest of the teachers are like, yeah, you, you really suck. But at the same time, it kind of took them a while to get there. Right. I don't know. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it wasn't until I mean, if you look at Imposter Moody, you know, fooling. I mean, he was able to fool Dumbledore, but he was really like a. I mean, he he was, you know, evil wizard and able to fool Dumbledore, but obviously he'd had some practice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with Lockhart, it's I don't know. It's kind of like what it's you guys said. This position, it. I mean, in Prisoner of Azkaban, I think it was it was Madame Pomfrey when Harry first comes in and he'd been tacked on the train and she learns that Lupin had given him chocolate. She yeah. says something along the lines of, "Finally, a defense against the dark arts teacher who knows what he's doing." Right. Yeah. You know, I, I just had a really random thought. Uh, when, when talking about defense against the dark arts teachers, uh, when Crouch was revealed to have been. Uh, or Moody was revealed to have been Crouch. Did anybody else uh, kind of have this image of the Scooby Doo villain? And I would have done it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, that's so true. Real quick, let's talk about the movie. the The movie adaptation of these scenes. The big uh, one. One thing I noticed was Borgen and Burks. I mean, that whole thing was missing. All those, all those little hands. Am I right? Well, there is a deleted scene that takes place in Borgen and Burks. Um, it wasn't in, I mean, it wasn't much in the film. Harry basically just lands in the chimney and climbs out, and he's in the exterior of Diagon Alley, or sorry, Nocturne Alley, in the movie. In the deleted scene, Harry hears uh, Malfoy and, and Draco in the shop and kind of watches them for a little bit, but it's not a long scene at all. Um, but they did film that part of it. Uh, the, the, yeah. the question I had with this movie is they changed why Harry ends up in Diagon Alley. And it's interesting because the book just says he coughs and lands up in Nocturne Alley. But in the movie, he does that thing where he's like diagonally, you know, and, and which I thought was cool. Yeah, it was cool. At the same time, it's like one great too far. I wanted to kind of talk about that because it was a little bit a little bit different. It, when When I was reading this chapter, it seemed that perhaps part of Harry, the part of him that was a Horcrux, wanted to take him to Borgen and Burks or was somehow used to traveling to this shop, you know, mm-hmm. or like he'd been there before or having like a, a Horcrux acid flashback, you know, I, I, however that happens. But mm-hmm. I just thought it was very interesting. <laughs> okay, and then the other thing that that was cut um, was, like I mentioned earlier, Arthur and Lucius, uh, that big fight. Do you guys think it was cut uh, for the sake of keeping in a children's children's movie? Because that could have gotten pretty violent, and they wanted to keep it PG at the time, so maybe. Yeah. I mean, well, they didn't cut killing Dumbledore because it was violent. Well, that was crucial. <laughs> yeah, really. Was, well, it was rated PG thirteen. First of all, no physical wasn't. fight. I think I think killing they Dumbledore. Columbus Half found a way Prince to work. Was PG. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh wow! I forgot it. about that. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, well, it's a little less violent. I mean, if you've seen one guy shove another guy, like Dumbledore, you've just seen him fall. Like, it's sad. Yeah, but... it's hard to respect people who, who resort to physical violence, those those crude adult 
males. So, but there was just one other thing though. There was another deleted scene, and it's actually Filch who finds Harry and and uh, Ron, right? And that's how they right. find out the fact that he's a squib. And they left that out of the. That doesn't come yeah. to later in Chamber of Secrets, but that was actually a deleted scene from the movie. Yeah, from earlier in the movie. And you know, they added um, Ben's favorite line, and I'm wondering if you could if you could do this in in high high def audio, Ben. Um, the when when Harry falls out of the car, the the <laughs> oh, right. Recording. You know that that wasn't in the book. Hold on, <laughs> I can't. Your hands all sweaty. <laughs> that whole thing, and I remember watching the Chamber of Secrets trailer, um, which was the first you know movie I saw on time in theaters. Being a fan, and just seeing that trailer where they find out the train is actually right behind them, going over the viaduct. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, awesome, awesome little movie bit. Yeah. Way to, way to. Way to liven up the scene because in the book they're kind of yes. just in the clouds dipping okay. down. Yes. So next week we're going to be talking about chapters 7 through 9. And it's time for quote, quote, quiz, 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 quiz. It's a simple matter if you know what you're doing. If you need help, you know where I am. Gilderoy Lockhart. Ah, oh, you knew it. You, we, we usually don't answer, but. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Oh, damn. You, you got really into it, so I didn't want to stop you. <laughs> Okay, so uh, to wrap up the show today, well, uh, Emerson, look, it's been 10 years now since you started MuggleNet, of course. You've explained it before. You've described yourself, you know, you were, you were a bored, homeschooled student. Was that the real reason why you started the fan site? Like, what really motivated you to actually start it, other than being bored? Uh, well, aside from the bored thing, which I, I think I may have covered uh, right. in the past. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Um, I had created a couple other failed websites. I really, I found this free web page maker, and I was just so excited about the fact that I could make a web page, and it wasn't that hard to do, and yeah. I could just drag stuff around and pick colors, and I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world that I could have stuff appear on the internet. Right. Um, what were your time, failed websites? <laughs> one was called Extreme Golf. <laughs> 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 And, and the other one, the other one was a Simpsons website. Oh. I don't remember what it was called. <laughs> so you just went after your passions and tried to make <laughs> yeah, websites. Think, for them. Exactly. I was thinking, what am I passionate about? And I really wasn't that passionate about golf, and I wasn't that passionate about the Simpsons. Yeah. And I, for, it was it was a couple weeks that I was sitting around trying to come up with a good idea for a website, and uh, then it just kind of hit me that I had just finished the third Harry Potter book. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually read uh, this. Uh, this was a month after POA came out. I read the first two books in one night, and then the third book. The next night, and I thought, wait a minute, I, Harry Potter, perfect. Yeah. But I went online and I checked out all the existing websites, and I thought, wow, these websites are huge, and they have you know billions of people visiting them. <laughs> I thought, there's no way I can compete with this. There's no way. I don't. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I'm excited to have a guest book on my website, yeah. in a black background instead of a white one. <laughs> what were? Do you remember some of the other sites that were big, at least in your mind? Yeah, there was HarryPotterFans.net. Was, oh, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah that one was really big. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. there was the the HP Network, the HPN. Okay, was a big one. Um, I, I Harry Potter. Yeah. .net was big for a while. I remember the unofficial Harry Potter web club, or was that it? The unofficial. Yeah, yeah, that was it. The one that was on Angel Fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that, those were the big ones. Those are the ones I thought I could never compete with. I remember the first time I talked to the webmistress from the HPN. I was talking to her on AIM, and I was so freaked out. I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. This person is such an internet celebrity. She has such a big website. That's how I was with you and Ben. Oh, my God, she's Mark. taking too long to respond. There's no typing indicator. She must hate me. <laughs> Does anybody remember Dark Mark? Yeah, that was a big one too. Yeah. Death Curse? What about Death Curse? Yeah. Death hyphen curse. How about Grim Net? Defeat? Do you remember that one? Yes. That one came along. They did they said that Dan Radcliffe died in a car accident, and that's what that was their undoing. <laughs> that killed him. Wow. Oh jeez. It's amazing how all these sites I don't know, I guess they saw MuggleNet grow and then they were like, ah, oh, screw it. Like what happened? Why did they stop? Think- why do you, why do you think? Because it's a marathon, not a sprint, baby. I guess I get. Do you have any ideas or reason? I, I don't know. Actually, I, I kind of I, I kind of assumed that that was just my own insulated perspective. Thought that they all quit and they were all still out there, and I just wasn't really having interaction with them. But I haven't really heard about it. It really it seems like a lot of websites did kind of just stop. Be honest, you paid them off, didn't you? <laughs> well, most people grew. Up, most people grow up, and they grow out of things, but not us. <laughs> we're, we're suspended in a state of arrested development when it comes to Harry Potter. But I think we're okay with that. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> here's here's a, here's a, a little known um, uh, tidbit of information about MuggleNet's early days. MuggleNet wasn't called MuggleNet originally. Um, and, and some of you do know this, but originally I thought there's no way I can possibly compete with all these huge Harry Potter mega sites. Yeah. So I thought, you know what? What the website, what the Harry Potter web community needs is the problem is each website had its own thing that it did really well, but there was no one place that you could go to find out. You know, each one website would have all of the chapter drawings. You know, right. and one website would have this, and the other website would have this. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to create a database, and I'm going to review websites, and I'm going to make like I'm going to make this organized Harry Potter links database. There's no one good place to find them. Mm. So the original name for the website was the best Harry Potter links. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Wow. Look at that. And it turns. And then into I, I, I quickly realized that that name wasn't exactly the the grabber right. that I needed, so I changed it to the the scintillating Potterites United. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so who came up with MuggleNet? Was this is this going to be like an old lady in a park somewhere told you that you'd one day have a website called MuggleNet, or or who no. came up with? That was actually that, – that was me. Uh, Warner Brothers was cracking down on Harry Potter websites at the time. Right. I remember Claire's Harry Potter website got shut down because it had Harry Potter in the domain. And I started getting worried and thinking, man, you know, what if what – if, uh, my, my name is Potter in it. What if yeah. this is a problem? Yeah. So I started brainstorming words that didn't have Potter in it. And I was thinking, okay, what are we – this is a website created by muggles. It's like a, a, a network of muggles. It's like a muggle connection or a muggle network or a mm. muggle net. Yeah, MuggleNet. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting awesome. how the studios went from shutting sites down to embracing yeah. their presence. Oh yeah, yeah. cool. Because that, that was true. That was true of the early stages of the web. For I mean, that that was a, a microcosm of what was happening to the internet in general. The internet was just dark and scary, wild, wild west to most corporations, and they just saw this as being a place for people to rip off their content. But now yeah, they realize exactly. value yeah. connected. It's quite the opposite. Well, and also the press started picking it up. And I remember they highlighted that one girl. She was on the news because. You know, and she looked so innocent. Warner Brothers came after me. I was just doing a yeah. Harry Potter website, and that yeah. that, that really was Claire documentary. Them. Oh, that yeah. was Claire. Okay, okay. yeah, it was Claire. And her her the thing the funny thing was that her website sucked. 
<laughs> maybe they were maybe they were taking her down because it sucked. Yeah. Listen, maybe. we 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 we're love do, we're doing you a favor here. Yeah. <laughs> We'd love to have websites for our franchise, but not something that's as crappy as yours. Claire is out there right <laughs> so, now. But, so, so angry. So, so it's MuggleNet.com, too, is something that I find people find interesting when I first tell them that it's not Muggle.net. Yeah, some people screw yeah. that up. It's annoying. Well, my, it. my, mom's, my mom still calls the site MogulNet after all these years. So It is a really cool name, though. Like It's, it's, a, cool, it's just a cool name, I think, MuggleNet. Good job Great. with that one, Everson. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so another question I really have. What, when did you realize that MuggleNet was getting huge? Was there suddenly like you woke up one morning and you were like, oh, wow, a lot of people are visiting and I'd never planned this. Like, was there some sort of moment that indicated that? You know, there was a series of moments and they were all progressively getting larger. The first moment I can remember concretely was it was a very small victory, but at the time it was huge because I was, you know, a 12 year old and I didn't know what I was doing. I, I added MuggleNet to a list of top Harry Potter sites. Yeah. And, you know, one of the top site lists. And uh, immediately it rose up to about 38th on the list. Mm hmm. And while that doesn't seem like very much now, at the time, it was I felt this incredible sense of accomplishment that my right. website was better than at least some other websites. Right. Now, what about what about the, wasn't then, the other thing like the BBC? Didn't they? Yeah, do a yeah. Little... This was this was the the credibility. Uh, this was this is what what made my parents first take note that this wasn't just some fun little hobby. Mm. Was that the BBC came out with a list of the, the top Harry Potter websites, and MuggleNet was on that list, mm. and it was actually the first website they listed. So that was when my parents sat up and they were like, "Wow, okay, yeah. Emerson's not completely wasting his time." <laughs> Wasn't it? Well, didn't they come out with a list of just like fan sites? Because I seem to remember seeing that list, and it was like yeah. the One Ring yeah. .net was on there, and then they compared MuggleNet and the One Ring .net, and that's a pretty good comparison. Yeah, it's good to be yeah, in the league and, with them. And that was actually that was actually one of the biggest reasons why MuggleNet grew as fast as it did was because uh, there was two things that I did early on. I didn't realize exactly what I was getting into, but I noticed that people were always eager to contribute content to the website. There was always people, you know, sub submitting things that they were writing or, you know, otherwise, you know, sending in pictures. And at the time, all the other websites were just, you know, kids like me doing it whenever they had time. But I thought, hey, these people all really want to help out. So I would say, wow, okay, this person's sending in so many of these, you know, these great editorials, you know, all I'll just hire write as many as you want. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. hire them, work together. Yeah. Many hands that make light work. Right. So MuggleNet was one of the first websites that actually had a staff, mm -hmm. and that that made the website grow exponentially. The other big thing was that at the time, you know, again, all the all the big Harry Potter websites seemed like they could never be caught, but I noticed that they didn't really get updated all that often, and they were there was no one website that had sort of everything that you need if you're a Harry Potter fan. All they were all limited. And I noticed that there was other fandoms, other web communities that had been around for much longer. And even as big as, you know, HarryPotterFans.net seemed, I noticed like sites like TheOneRing.net seemed much more professional and seemed just like much better websites altogether. So I would go around to, you know, Dragon Ball Z websites or Pokemon websites mm -hmm. or Lord of the Rings websites, and I would just kind of borrow their best ideas and I would use them on MuggleNet. And sure enough, little things like having, you know, a, a, a poll, something that seems really obvious, or having, you know, quotes, or having, yeah. you know, comments on news posts, you know, things like that were a lot of times plucked from other communities. Like, yeah. thank you, Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> now, is, yes. that, is, is that why you started the caption contest? 
No, Eric, yes, that was. was to give you something to do, so you shut up for once. <laughs> well, actually, I mentioned it because it's exactly like seven years ago this week that the caption contest first started, and uh. I took over three weeks or so in after I'd met Emerson, but Emerson started that on his own. That was not, I mean, anybody else, so I, you I said, didn't know. You said know. two weeks from now will be the first? You said you said two weeks from now it'll be it'll it'll have been seven years or two weeks ago. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, it's exactly seven years this week. Um, oh, that that Emerson started the caption contest on MuggleNet. Well, I'm thinking next month should be the caption contest seventh <laughs> seven. anniversary <laughs> celebration. Yeah, we'll do a top fifteen. We'll get Dylan on the layout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be good. Yeah. But uh, seriously, I asked Emerson because I just I never really knew the story behind why he started it. I mean, the, he and why he chose this first picture of Gilderoy Lockhart at the Dueling Club as the you know the caption images. All right. Well, to to wrap this uh, little talk up, Emerson, if you had to pick one favorite moment from your time on MuggleNet, just one, what would it be? You know, I think I would have to go back in time to a particular morning in May, two thousand four, uh, when you hired me. Perhaps at eight a.m. Uh, for the one know, or two people out there, terrible. for the one or two people out there who who didn't hear this, uh, uh, my my dad had come bursting into my room and he had this very panicked look on his face, and he was holding the phone in his hand, and he just kind of barked at me, Emerson, it's Joe. <laughs> and my my first thought was, you know, why is some guy named Joe? calling at eight o'clock in the morning right <laughs> I mean, yeah like well, what the hell <laughs> so he he hands me the phone and i hear this of course very clipped british accent on the other end of the line hello emerson this is jim you're like and what's up dude <laughs> <laughs> like, oh what's up what's up man <laughs> yeah and the and the rest is history yeah, because I spent the next, you know, spent the next two months crapping my pants, right? And uh, literally not being able to sleep, and it, maybe some, well, somewhat literally. <laughs> I, I remember, I remember, like you got online after that happened, and you're like, "Big news, man! Like huge news!" And I was like, "What's going on? Can't tell you. Seriously, can't tell you." And I, I was like, "What?" And then at the time, there was this uh, the, one of our mutual friends who. Emerson like happened to take to the Prisoner of Azkaban premiere, like uh, Mike McCauley. Yeah, I, Emerson told him, uh, <laughs> told him about it, and then this kid's sitting there rubbing it in my face, and I'm just like, "Tell me, like you shouldn't have told me you had anything to tell me." Right. <laughs> uh, I just so remember for, through, throughout the entire interview uh, with Joe, I, I I had it was I spent half the time doing, you know, paying attention to what she was saying and trying to formulate good counter questions. I spent the other half of the uh, the interview just thinking to myself, holy crap. Right. Well, uh, we do have to start wrapping up the show. We'll get into some announcements. But thanks, Emerson, for that insight into the into the site. Oh, but but for, for the record, um, since it's like the 10th anniversary, Andrew, I, who who hired you at MuggleNet? I'm just curious. That was you, Ben. Oh, it was me? Okay. Just making sure. Just making sure. It was you, Ben. I'm so I joined the staff in November 2003. That's when... That's when the site really started to take off. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd been there for a year, failed to do anything interesting, so Ben took over. Man, I, I, took, that, I took that trivia page, and I just took it to the top. <laughs> yeah, the, when, ben, when Ben got his job, he, he spent several months begging me for a job, 
on uh, MSN, and uh, I, I just I didn't know who he was. I just thought he was some kid. And finally, he 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 proved himself by being annoying enough. And so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll test him. I'll give him the most boring work, <laughs> most dull and dry job I can possibly think of. The trivia managing page. the trivia page. So, and the key to anything is like everything is remember like you're interviewing for a job and you really want it lie. So like when so Emerson, what you say? Well, Emerson's like, well, you do know FTP, and I was like, oh yeah, of course, FTP, <laughs> like no problem. Was, yeah, totally. Do you yeah. know HTML? And I was like, yeah, of course. Like at the time, I knew how to do like just like a little bit, right? But that's I, will, I can't believe I that was remember. I think that was six years ago. That's weird. I will like, always remember. And Shane's words of wisdom, ladies and gentlemen, lie on all of your <laughs> job applications. I was honest to you, Ben. We'll and I bugged you just I, like you did Emerson. Whatever. I was, I was honest, Emerson. He interviewed me for fan of the week as per the request <laughs> of my friend, ah. and I, I, we met on AIM, didn't we, Emerson? And yeah, like, I remember. I remember, I remember Eric's friend. Eric's friend just uh, Eric yeah. seemed to me like perhaps the biggest Harry Potter fan that had ever been born, and I could not believe he existed. So I was like, hey, <laughs> this guy. Uh, I still can't believe he exists. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just—I no, love my, you, Eric. You know I love you. Hey, I love you too, Ben. No, my friend found MuggleNet and was like, "Hey, you got to check this out." But had already emailed Emerson and was like, "Hey, I have this friend, and oh, that's cool. You no, know, he should do the fan of the week." So it was, yeah. it was my friend Justin was the reason I got involved with the uh, with MuggleNet. But it was you know it was, it was great. I, oh, and I the first time I logged on to MuggleNet's FTP was just really cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that too. I was like, got the power. <laughs> I, I remember when I was when I was interviewing Andrew. Um, I, I was busy and like I, I didn't know how serious he was about all this, and so I just kept stringing him along. I would I would I would tell him be online tomorrow at three p.m. Yeah. and I'll tell you then. And yeah, he, I was... and he, and he, he'd get on at three p.m. and I wouldn't message him, and like I just like sit there and wait to see if he like would message me. That and time then... period where you had me waiting, I'm honest to God, I would not leave my computer because I was very paranoid that I would miss you. I would not be online when you wanted to tell me the good news, the impending good news. Yeah, you were finally, finally, I was just like, all right, time to let me off the hook. I was, uh, anyway. And here we are. So, yes. SoCal, baby. Well, it's wild to think that you started in Kansas, I started in New Jersey, and now we're both together in SoCal. We're not together, Andrew. You know what I mean. Yeah. We're podcasting together yeah, in right. SoCal. Just, just for the record, I don't want any crazy ships going on out there. You mean I made my bed for nothing today? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, we could talk about this forever, and maybe we will on another episode. We'll reminisce more. Uh, but for now, before we let everyone go today, we want to remind you about a couple of announcements. First, please do vote for us on Podcast Alley. It's We've been very- reminding you for four years on this one. And so. still just as important as <laughs> <Please>. ever. <laughs> so thank you for that. Also, uh, HPEF's next con is coming up, uh, Harry Potter Conference. Infinitus 2010. They actually just redid their website. It looks pretty cool. Infinitus2010.org. You can go over there and uh, register for uh, register register for the conference. And we're doing a MuggleCast there. Well, we can't announce anything yet, but oh, okay. Let's okay. hope we do. Let's hope so. Yes. And um, just when you do register, there's a little referral box, and put MuggleCast in the uh, box so or MuggleNet so they know where where you came from. We do greatly appreciate that as well. Uh, also, we've recently redone our Deathly Hallows and Wizarding World sections on MuggleNet. You know, we do have 
great content on MuggleNet. So we encourage you to head over there, check out the uh, Movie 7 section, which I just said was recently revamped with a lot of new stuff, and the uh, Wizarding World section was revamped. And, of course, all the other pages on the site are getting frequent updates all the time. So, hell, just check it out. Check it all out. Yeah, wall of shame. Emerson, you got to add some new <laughs> stuff on there. Maybe maybe some new crazies will email you after the show. I think the problem is that I, I just be, I have become too jaded to wall of shame worthy emails. And right. now I'm just I, I've just read so many of them now that I, I feel like I've, I've lost that self-confidence I need to be able to determine <laughs> what is truly funny and what is truly obnoxious because it's it, all I obnoxious understand. now. Uh. <laughs> And Eric, quickly, your your announcement about the roller coaster tycoon quickly. thing. Quickly, roller please. coaster tycoon. I've received uh, six entries so far, but they've all kicked serious bum. Uh, roller coaster tycoon. Last day to send your Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park save game files is Tuesday, October twenty seventh at twelve p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to post the uh, the winners or my favorites on the site um, on Halloween. Um, cool. Yeah. And last, Emerson, did you play Roller Coaster Tycoon at all? Uh, I played all the tycoons except that one. I think that's the best oh. one. So you clearly have not played the tycoon. I was all about SimCity. Need uh, training for later on Sim in life City. when I'm running my own. Okay, and as always, you can Mayor visit Sparks. You can visit the <laughs> MuggleCast website at MuggleCast.com for uh, more information about the show, including our contact information. Uh, there you'll find a feedback form, or just email any one of us using our first name at staff.mugglenet.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash benshane. <laughs> <laughs> or twitter.com slash mugglecast. I mean, one. either or. Yeah. It's same thing, practically. Actually, yeah, this is something I would like to mention. Go ahead. Uh, on MuggleNet, we, uh, we're actively supporting Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, there's a product called the Beamit, which will allow you to increase your sensitivity of touch in order to conduct these breast self-exams. So you, if, you, if, if you do have a lump in your breast, it will be easier to detect, and you can detect it earlier, hopefully before it's uh, you know too late. And remember, one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer during her lifetime. So this is a very serious matter. And yeah, Maggie Smith, one of our own, is a breast cancer survivor. So go out, get your early detection methods down, conduct yourself exams. Don't play around with your life. All right. Thank you, Ben. Uh, so that wraps it up. Thank you, Emerson, for joining us. It was a lot of fun having you here on the show. Happy 10 Anyways. years, everyone. Uh, 10 years. <laughs> Here's to another 10. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, I feel like we need, a, we need a theme song that we need to play for that. Oh, we, we, oh it's MuggleNet at 10? We should make like a really dramatic video where it's like, you know, it cries. Ten years. <laughs> Once again, I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Ben Shane. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Mike Tannenbaum. I am Emerson Sparks. We'll see you next time for episode 184. Bye-bye. Peace.